New Year's a good time to kind of invest some energy in seeing what we carry around as the turning of this year. So that, that's Tubi, by the way. Television without pity. I won't go into many more of that story. That's Tubi. So I thought I'd share with you a few things that I'm carrying around right now at this turning of the year as we're finding our way into January. Let's see what we got here. Um, ah, ah, the book. Working title of The Twelve-Step Unitarian Universalist. Twenty-four different contributors, of which I am one. I'm also the editor of the collection. Twenty-four wonderful, heart-opening, spirit-rich stories. Twenty-four Unitarian Universalists who've grown spiritually through the variety of twelve-step offerings that are here in this society. 24 Unitarian Universalists in recovery. It's like herding cats <laughs> with ADHD. This has been a labor of love. And at some point, it's going to get published. Probably this year. We've got a contract. So let's see what else here we have in the 2013-2014 inventory. Ah, knee brace. The last distance race I ran was our 5K last March. We're doing it again this year, so look for some announcements for that in the next few months. Last distance race, I, I almost want to put that in air quotes, 3.1 miles. I've run longer than that in the past, but this was the most painful race I have ever run. The entirety of the 3.1 miles, I felt as if my right knee was swinging off of a rusty hinge. And so perhaps this will be the month in which I finally call my orthopedist and see what is actually going on in that right knee that has been injured for actually many, many years. It's part of inventory I haven't really dealt with yet. Let's see what else we have. Ah, one of my favorite things of the new year. It's this edition of the New York Times Sunday Magazine with the simple title, the lives they lived. I think all of us know people who passed away in this last year. Many of them not nearly as famous as the lives contained in here. People like Lou Reed, Nelson Mandela. And one of the things I love about this edition of the New York Sunday Times Magazine is that it helps mark, yes, a goodbye. A recognition that certain lives have ended in this physical realm and at the same time that they are gone, they are still with us, just as certainly as those you have loved and lost in this past year are still with you. This one I'm not going to throw down. I'm going to place it gently. Gone, but still with us. That's an important thing to remember about the past year as we move into this year. Perhaps you're hearing words like this marketed to you or marketed at you to get you to buy something. New year, new you. New year, new you. Maybe. Who knows? And probably not quite. We heard Mick at the start of the service talk about New Year's resolutions. And it's been my experience in my life and in working with other people's lives, and indeed this is quantified over and over again, that most 
New Year's resolutions are discarded before we ever reach Super Bowl Sunday, before we even get out of this first month of the year. And so the question rises, why is that? Why do so many people start this new year with a hope of change in their heart and for their lives and yet do not follow up? One of the answers I've come to over the years inspires this new message series, which is called The Power of With. Why do so few New Year's resolutions actually take root within us and help to change our lives in the ways that we hope? I think it's because too often many of us work with our lives as we hope them to be before actually working with our lives as they actually are. I mean, we're sitting in a place We're sitting in a congregation that came about because myself and a few other people early on had the courage and the desire to ask a really important question. What if? What if there was a new Unitarian Universalist congregation filled with spirit and life and energy, just like we shared here today? And so what if is a question that I absolutely love, but so often what if doesn't really find its way more deeply into our lives because we miss one letter that can help shift what if into a more mature place, which is before we get to what if, never forgetting what is, never forgetting that we are where we are in this life and what is matters a great deal. And so one of the practices of the power of with is the vow to work with our lives just as we are. This is one of our core values here at Wellsprings, that we are a community of people striving, aspiring to practice vulnerability, honesty, humility, necessary, so that we are able to make positive change. The practice of inventory, as another tradition calls it, that's fearless moral inventory, is that willingness to, with humility and vulnerability, look upon our lives in the most clear-sighted way that we can, understanding where we are, who we are, and what we are working with. Because I think for many of us, we never really understand what we're working toward, but first check first checking in and discovering what we're working with in the first place. It is change that for so many of us drives New Year's resolutions even if they're not the new year, at any season in our lives. It is a change or changes very often that is driven by a sense that something in our life is not working, that something is suboptimal, that something is causing suffering for us or for another person, and so we would wish to change that. But when we don't vow to work with our lives as we are in the midst of sometimes even distress or turmoil about wanting to change, our resolutions become rejections. And if we reject ourselves all the way down and don't vow to work with what's here, our resolutions lead us to frustrations if they're based in rejection. There must be some part of us that we affirm if we're really going to change into healthiness and the kind of wholeness that we work for. I mean, we see this in people's lives. I experienced it for years in my life before I was given the opportunity to really work with my life. It was those same old repeated patterns after repeated patterns. I'd take a step and a half forward and then take three steps back because I didn't know how to work with Because in this vow to work with, to take a fearless moral inventory, even if what we see about ourselves we don't like, even if we might be a little annoyed with ourselves, if we have this power of with, we can accept what we don't like about ourselves. We can accept what's not working. 
if we can see clearly. Because then we can make a realistic, honest assessment of who we are and that we can work with what's here based on just how we are in the moment. This is the power of with. It is a soul sickness, and unfortunately a soul sickness that is real in our society that wants to reject the power and the practice of working with our lives. Very often it is people who have been injured, who are suffering greatly, or who may even be somewhat traumatized, who do not believe they have the power to work with their lives. And sadly, one of the truths of life as well, too, is that very often those who are traumatized transmit their suffering to others and may traumatize others to smaller or lesser degree. When I think about a traumatized person who became a traumatizer, I think of this figure here, this person, Walter White, Breaking Bad. To me, one of the three greatest television shows that I think not just have ever been made, will ever be made. I'm going to go out on a limb and make that judgment right now. But Walter White gets a traumatizing diagnosis in the midst of his life, a cancer diagnosis. And because he cannot practice looking at his life with humility and vulnerability, he becomes a meth maker and eventually a drug kingpin who causes tremendous harm and suffering in other people's life because he does not want to admit a very simple truth that any of us who wish to get better in any ways we want to get better have to admit this happened. This actually happened to us. We actually did this, whatever the this is. Walter White thinks he's smart enough that he could keep lying and lying and lying his way out of working with his life until finally it all comes crashing down around him. That is the soul sickness. And yes, I recognize probably no one, I'm going to go on a limb here, is a drug kingpin in this, in this room. But the point is the continuum of the teaching. We all sometimes, almost as if, uh, you know, if you ever had this experience of reading a book and you're paging through it and you're following the storyline, you're following the article, and all of a sudden you just, you, you, you turn to the next page, what you think is the next page, and you cannot follow the narrative anymore. You're just lost in it. And you're like, what happened? Where did that go? And you recognize it's because five pages are stuck together and you've lost your path in the story. This is what the practice of with, particularly with taking inventory in our lives, is all about, is that willingness to open up the pages that we might want to close down. In the power of with, we also touch beautifully the reality of two spiritual teachings that are sometimes thought to be oppositional, karma and grace. Might associate karma with Eastern traditions, uh, actions and consequences. We might associate grace with new beginnings and with Western traditions, with Christianity. But here's the thing, in fact, I mean, the most famous story, the most famous song there is about grace, amazing grace. How many of you know the story about that? John Newton, who was a slave ship captain who trafficked in the degradation and in the killing of others' lives, found himself in a storm, and in that moment recognized the immense evil that he was perpetrating and cried out for grace and found grace. And in that moment, not just turned the ship around, but began to turn his life around into more whole ways of living. So grace and karma are not oppositional because the story of John Newton that gave rise to the song Amazing Grace is, as John Lennon might say, instant karma. 
In that moment, he saw clearly that his life was not whole. It was a hurting life. And in that moment, grace opened up. And so indeed, grace and karma are companions, like frog and toad are friends is what I think of. Grace and karma are companions. They are friends set up together by the matchmaker of our willingness to take inventory in this life, to look honestly at who we are. It's kind of like a woodworker, a woodworker, or maybe a a carver working with an uncarved block of stone, really learning the texture, the grain of that piece of wood or of that stone. learning to work with it even before any change has happened because in their willingness to work with what is there, they are seeing the work of art's emergent qualities even before anything has been done. We see that karma and grace need to work together if the change that we seek is going to be released in our lives and we're going to follow ourselves into the kind of wholeness that we yearn for ourselves. This is most fundamentally this practice of inventory, a practice of hospitality, of welcoming ourselves. We did it at the start of the service. We, we greeted each other. We wished each other peace. We made space and room in our lives for each other. That is a wonderful practice of external hospitality, of making room. And indeed, it's grounded in profound spiritual understandings. I always think about the Hebrew Scriptures where the Israelite people having had an experience of being enslaved in Egypt, came back into the land of Israel, had a homecoming, and had a new emergent understanding of who God asked them to be. I mean, they were a tribal religion just like any other kind of religion, and tribal religions go to war against each other very often because they think resources are scarce. And yet their teaching in the book of Exodus is this, we hear it regularly, because you were an alien in the land of Egypt, you shall not impress the alien, the foreigner in your midst. That's a powerful teaching for justice and compassion for, in the society. But it's also a powerful teaching when we take that attitude of hospitality into our lives, when we don't treat those part of our lives that we don't like very much and seek to discard them, seek to move them beyond our borders, but instead claim them and say, we will work with these parts of ourselves that we do not like very much. And the truth is, and you probably know this already, that there are whole industries and there are whole religions based on this one idea, this one idea that they want you to accept and accept so deeply you may not even recognize it because they want to sell you something, a product or an image of God. They want you to be hostile to yourself. (laughs) They want you to practice inhospitality to yourself. It's almost like the old perverse lesson or practice of warfare, I guess we could say it was, during the Vietnam War. Remember these phrases? We have to burn down the village in order to save the village. That brought death and destruction to so many. And when we internalize that attitude, that in our desire to change, we burn down the village of our lives in order to save ourselves, eventually all of us end up with our ashes and our tears. Burning down the village of our lives, practicing inhospitality to ourselves, practicing self-aggression will not help us change. Instead, hospitality, this willingness to take a fearless moral inventory, is a profound affirmation even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our suffering, and sometimes even more this, when we really don't like ourselves. The ability to take 
and inventory and to practice with is not based on our self-esteem. It's based upon our power to love ourselves even when we don't feel lovable. So even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of difficulty right now today, even if you don't know how yet to make your life better in any way, can we at least maybe recognize if we're struggling that we have a yearning for wholeness, that we might see that life can be different for us and that we can yearn for a healthier way to be. At this moment for people, this is one of the most profound aspects of pastoral counseling and coaching that's a part of this work, is encouraging people to work with that instinct. Because that can be an anxious place because we don't know how to do it yet. We don't know how to make better things yet. But this yearning is already a part of us. And if we couldn't know and yearn for wholeness, then wholeness wouldn't be a possibility. But it is. And so, even though nothing about us may change right now, even to recognize that practicing hospitality with ourselves is a start. It's a beginning. And it's the best we can do in this moment. The change that it then can produce in us this kind of hospitality, this vow to work with, is that it creates in us abundance. Even if our resources, interpersonal, financial, whatever they are, are, are scant, even if our resources we think are meager, we can start to work with them in a creative way. I think always of, uh, of this person recently. This is Michael Twitty. He is a culinary historian of the lives of African Americans during slave times. He's also a uh, convert to Judaism. You'll see him wearing a, a kippah. He cooks what he calls kosher soul. And he is one of the people I most trust when issues of race or racism come up in our society because he is honest and he is fearless and he is also open-hearted. He's working with people as they are. And from his tradition, from his spiritual tradition, he says, in Judaism we pray May what I have be sufficiently blessed that I feel its abundance. May what I have, not will have, not want to have, not need, what I have may be sufficiently blessed that I may feel its abundance. This is a really important prayer and attitude to prayer to hold in our hearts before we make any major change because right now, you know, they're banking on it. You got to get that new yoga mat, right? You got to get those new pair of shoes, right? You got to get those new sneakers because that's the thing. The external thing is going to make the change. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a new yoga mat or new sneakers or anything like that. It's just the same principle as why most people who win the lottery end up miserable and many of them end up more poor than they started. It's because they're expecting the new situation to make them happy. And so before we make any major change, looking at who we are already and what we're working with already and what is already, so that we can, as a number of teachers have said, practice what's called wanting what we have. Wanting what we have already. Not looking, not asking, what's next, what's next, what's next all the time, like a kid on Christmas morning who just tears through toy after toy after toy after toy and somehow ends up dissatisfied. Not next, not next, not next. The next will come one way or the other. 
but instead asking what's now. Because sometimes it can be so easy for us to discard, to to diminish, to demean our experience. And when we have one of those times, I like to think of uh, these two people here. I like to think of Stephen and Tabitha King. Now, I've, I've met actually Stephen King. He's a really nice guy. His, uh, th- their daughter, Naomi, became the minister of the first congregation after I left it in South Florida. And so it was nice to, uh, it was nice to meet them. And I always like to remember this story about Stephen and Tabitha King, because they're both aptly essential here, that Stephen King, I mean, millions of books, tens of millions of books, hundreds of millions of books. I mean, Carrie has been made just in my lifetime into two separate versions of movies. And yes, even if pretty much every Stephen King movie kind of stinks as a movie, It's still an index of success. You can disagree with me on that one. I'm sure some of you do. But before Stephen King was Stephen King, he was an unsuccessful writer in the mid-70s, frustrated. Carrie, his first novel, not five rejections from publishers, not 10 rejections from publishers, not 15, not 20, not 25, 30 different rejections from publishers, all the way to the point that he took that manuscript, put it in the trash. I would have tossed it even more, but that would have been really hard to hit that, and I would have knocked over the coffee probably. <laughs> but you get my point. That, you put it in the trash, that's okay, you can put it in the trash. But then I'm going to ask you to get it right back out again, because here's the thing. <laughs> Tabitha King, knowing the amount of work that he had put into and with the manuscript for Carrie, took the book out of the trash (laughs) and said, this is what we have to work with. And Carrie became Carrie. (laughs) And Stephen and Tabitha King became Stephen and Tabitha King. It can be so easy to dismiss, demean, discard, especially the part of our lives that we don't like very much or that we experience frustration with. This is where one of our core beliefs at Wellsprings, I think, is wonderful and truly good news. The heart of our spiritual tradition that we articulate this way here at Wellsprings. The burning bush is blazing everywhere. Not past tense. Life continues to develop. Presence is present tense. To set our hearts upon this teaching is to vow to work with our lives, even in difficult circumstances. The miracle of the burning bush is that our li- in our lives is that nothing is wasted. Everything matters, and it all belongs. Nothing that's with is ever wasted. Every perceived failure we've had, every unexpected result, any unpleasant surprise, There are the seeds of our wholeness even in the midst of those things. Nothing that's with is wasted. I got a great reminder of this this past week where the building I live in decided to, they they would start for New Year's practice with all of us who who live there. And they said, we're going to offer you all residential composting. I mean, my dad was publisher of Organic Gardening in the 1970s. And one of the first pictures of me is myself in diapers at two or three next to a mound of compost that's like eight times my size. Compost is beautiful stuff. And you know what compost is? Garbage. Nothing that is with is ever wasted. You may be sitting here today wondering if what you're carrying around is garbage. You may be thinking it's not worth much. And here's the thing, I would never try to argue you out of that feeling. 
How we feel about ourselves is how we feel. But I might ask you to bring an open-hearted additional question. So you're feeling like garbage. Maybe you're feeling like crap. Lots of garbage. That's what I'm talking about. So the question I'd ask is this. Yes, maybe your garbage is garbage. But don't discard it. Because your garbage is also fertilizer. And out of fertilizer, new things grow. We are all of us nutrient-rich. <laughs> we are all of us wiser than we know. If we choose to work with. In the power of with, there is no wasted time. In the power of with, there is no wasted love. In the power of with, there is no wasted life. And so this is my New Year's hope for you. That you will work with your lives over and over and over again. And in working with our lives, may we all live in blessing. Amen. Let's pray together. God of many seasons, God of seasons of dark and seasons of light, seasons of renewal and seasons of lying fallow, seasons of transitions and seasons of stability, may we recognize rippling throughout all of this the attitude within ourselves that we will, with open eyes and open hearts, and open hands, accept what is here and accept ourselves and recognizing that what is next is contained in the seed of what is already here. This life is always in flow, always in flux, always waiting to give birth to the next moment. May we work with who we are, how we are, as we are. And in this working with, May we recognize our vast capacity for wholeness and our vast ability to be blessed. Amen.